Thank you, Brian. I know there's a lot of people out there who are very disappointed this morning because I'm filling in for Josh. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, hopefully the message that we uh, we hear from God's word will be a blessing to us. The topic is the joy, the joy of evangelism. You know, when 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 Josh asked me to fill in, uh, he told me what the topic was, and I thought that sounds like an oxymoron. Not Josh. The term joy of evangelism. See, an oxymoron is a is a figure of speech in which uh, apparently contradictory terms appear in conjunctive. That means joined together. I'll give you some examples that you know will illustrate this, like act naturally and clearly confused and then the classic one deafening silence that's what an oxymoron is and so when i when i was told that i had to speak on the joy of evangelism to me it seemed like an oxymoron because those two terms seem contradictory in my experience anyway. I'm going to show you a slide. I'm just thinking to myself that we probably all feel the same way. Many, many Christians love evangelism, Brian. Absolutely. They love it. As long as someone else is doing it. Amen. Mm, yeah. You know, evangelism my evangelism experience has been that it's probably one of the most hardest or the most difficult uh, Christian disciplines to execute. Now, if, if you thought di- uh, um, Brian might have been a rough diamond, I don't know what you would cl- call me, because before I became a believer, Brian, I smoked, I swore, and I bullied people. Now... I almost stopped smoking overnight. I probably stopped swearing in the first week, and it wasn't long, much long after that, that I stopped bullying people. But sharing, sharing my faith, sharing what had happened to me was very difficult. And, and I'm sure that we've all found this uh, once we become Christians, to, in sharing our faith with our family members is hard. We, we, we get a bit timid. And then we go to work, you know, in the staff room with our work colleagues. It's really hard, isn't it, to stand up for your faith, especially when they're talking about abortion or, or transgender or you know, all those, all these things that are happening to, you know, recently, you know, same-sex marriage, all those things, very difficult, isn't it? And then your mates. I remember I didn't do this very well, evangelising to my mates when I first got saved. I often pray about them, you know, even now, thinking I hope I didn't put them off the way I tried to explain to them about the Lord. But you see, evangelism, when you share your faith, when you share the good news, and it is good news, but when you share it, it causes hostility amongst people. It causes arguments. It causes resentment. 
And it's good news. You see, the good news is about about Christ and his love for the Father and his love for us and his work at the, at the place called Calvary, which we remembered about this morning in the, in the taking of the bread and the, the wine. And so the good news is about Christ and salvation. And that is what evangelism is, telling people about this, this uh, wonderful thing. But we read together this morning, and we also read it last week in a different part of the scriptures, that we, we've been warned by the Lord himself, to this morning and in other places in the new testament the apostles warn us as well but the lord warned us this morning that hey you know what this message this good news is not popular it won't be popular and he also said it won't be well received and and in other places uh, the lord says it will actually divide families I experienced that in, in, in my household whenever I, I tried to explain to my Roman Catholic parents that I had become a Christian. You know, I went over to the other side as far as they were concerned. And we were also been told, and even this morning was reminded by the Lord here in the reading, that it causes persecution. And we know about that. We read about it and we see it vividly uh, on social media today. And all these things and more are still being evidenced today, even in Australia, a a land that has many freedoms and liberties in spite of COVID-19. The next slide I'm going to show you is a verse out of Luke 10. And Rob Coyle last week, I hope you I hope you saw his message or heard it. If, if you didn't see it, if you haven't, please I urge you to to look it up on our on our web page and 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 experience what he said and the and the passion and the love that he 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 displayed in giving us that message. But he reminded us of the great need to spread the gospel, the great need, the challenges that we need to get this message out to people in the world. But one of the things that he said, and I think this, for me this was the, the most important, uh, was that the harvest or the need is great. There's a great need out there. But he said, like that little slide says, the labourers, the workers, the evangelists are few. Great need but not many workers. And he actually used the text in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. And he gave us a challenge, Rob gave us a challenge uh, to be ready and willing workers uh, meeting the need to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I'm going to show you the next slide. This morning we're going to look at Next slide um, is is Luke chapter ten verses one to twenty. 
where it's where in your in your uh, subheading there, Jesus sends out the seventy-two. Now you may you may have thought you may I've heard this before. Wasn't that read last week? No, it wasn't. It wasn't read last week. Last week we 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 looked at uh, Matthew chapter nine. Uh, the texts are very similar, and today's the the, the reference uh, text that we're using today. Uh, I've chose it because it actually it, it, it tells us uh, the joy. It shows us the joy of evangelism. And the similarities between Matthew and Luke are there for a very good reason. I'm just going to quickly highlight them to you. The challenge given is the same to both to both groups. It was it was preached the good news of the kingdom of God. And the sending was the same. Go, I am sending you. And the master, the same master, is giving the authority. That's why they're similar. But in Matthew that Rob spoke about, we have the 12 apostles sent. And and, and they're actually named. And we read them last week, didn't we? And they went, they were sent by the Lord into the northern area of of Israel. And now we have this this little passage here. And it says 72 were sent. 72 disciples, 72 people who believed and trusted Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. And they were sent to the southern areas of, of Israel. But I love it. I love the fact that you know, while in, in last week's reading they named the 12 apostles, here we have 72 anonymous disciples being sent. I love that. They could be anybody. They could be you. They could be me. The first, the first verse in, in chapter 10, it says there, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. The Lord appointed 72 and sent them. Now, that's been a pattern. That's been the method that, that the Lord has employed from this point right up till today of how he wants his message not be made known. You know, if we were to just to change a couple of little words in that first verse, it would be the same. It wouldn't change anything uh, in the way of what the Lord intended, and it wouldn't change anything in relation to how the text is interpreted. For example, instead of saying the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them, what if this morning our attitude is the Lord appointed the believers in Montmorency Community Church and sent them? Because brothers and sisters, that's what the text is saying this morning. It's saying that the Lord appointed the believers his disciples in, in the Montmorency Community Church and he sent them, sent them to go ahead of him 
in, the, in our community. It's, it's a dignified calling, isn't it? What a calling. Sent, commissioned to represent him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly ambassadors of the king. That's what these 72 anonymous disciples were. They were ambassadors. And we talked a bit, quite at length about that, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, to be an ambassador for Christ. Sent by him and before him. They went ahead of him before he, he was to come and, 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 and speak and perform those miracles and implore people to turn back to God. And that's where we're at, brothers and sisters. That's where you and I are at. Because we too have been appointed, commissioned by Jesus Christ to represent him, to go before him, before he comes back. Because we know he is coming back. We're hoping it's very soon. But it's even graver for the people that need to hear this message because it won't be a message of salvation that they're going to hear from Jesus Christ when he comes back. So it's it's imperative that we understand our, our, our purpose, our core business, as Rob mentioned last week. And in verse 2, it's not only a dignified calling, but it's a difficult calling. It's difficult to evangelise. The Lord didn't pull any punches here, did he? And in other places in Scripture, he made it very clear, this is not going to be a cakewalk, Raph. It was never going to be easy. It's not that I'm just not doing it well. It was never going to be easy. Have a look at the analogy that he gives here in this passage. It's the same one that he that he gave to the apostles. So you know, and it's the same for you and me this morning. The harvest, the harvest work is hard. It's hard work, even today with all the machinery that we have and the technology that we have. We we know the Watsons, don't we? Here at Monty, Nick and Deborah, and they're up at Barry Willick, and. Uh, you know, come harvest time, they, 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 they grow a lot of crops. They've got a big place and they grow a lot of crops. But come harvest time, it's every hand on deck. It's a busy time. Nobody has a break. In fact, I know that at times, there have been times when, when members of their family who come to this church and friends have gone up at harvest time to help out Brian with all the machinery, you know. It's still a busy time, hard work. And have a look at what the Lord says about that. He says, he says, to pray, not for the harvest, Brian. Not, not, don't pray for the harvest. The Lord doesn't say that. He doesn't even pray that the work would be easier. Lord, help us that, that there would be, the work would be, he doesn't ask us to pray for that. What does the Lord say there? He says to pray for more laborers. That's what he said. That's the prayer request, brothers and sisters, to pray for more laborers. Just take a moment to think about that. Now, Brian mentioned something earlier, and I've had it here, that, that in the world, not just in Australia, but in the world, 
around 31% uh, or some flavour of Christianity, 31% of the world is nominally Christian, which means the harvest out there is 69%. More than two-thirds of the population of the world is the harvest. We don't have to pray for the harvest. It's there. It's ready to be, to be, to be cropped. But the workers are few. That's the problem. That's the problem. I'm going to show you another slide. No, it's not going to happen. It is going to happen. I'm getting signals from up the back. That's okay. Another slide. When we pray, I remember as a young believer at, at, at East Kobe, I remember, no, that's not the one I want. It's the green one. That's it? Thank you. At East Coburg, uh, when I was there as a young believer, uh, I remember an old man, Mr. Mr. Albert Campbell Sr., he used to say, and my father-in-law used to say it to me too, but uh, he used to say that, that sometimes when we pray for the Lord, to, to God for the things, sometimes he, he expects us to be the hands and the feet. The answer is my hands and my feet. In other words, sometimes we are the answer to the prayer that we ask for. And there's a quote, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the man's name, but, but he said that often the answer to our prayers does not come while we're on our knees, but while we're on our feet serving the Lord and serving those around us. Who was he asking here to pray for the workers? It was the people already who were labouring. What we need are more labourers, brothers and sisters. More labourers. It's a dignified calling. It's a difficult calling. And in verse 3 of this passage, we see that it's a dangerous calling as well. Dangerous. He says, the Lord says, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, brothers and sisters, the wolf, I mean, we don't have wolves here in Australia, but like a fox sort of thing, you know, same analogy. But the wolves are the natural enemy of sheep. It's, it's, it's against the wolves that the shepherd tries to protect the sheep. And not only are the wolves the natural enemies of sheep, but have a look. This is not an accident. It's not a little uh, translation here, but have a look at how the Lord refers to us who are being sent out. Not even as sheep, brothers and sisters. We are lambs. We're even more vulnerable than a sheep. I love, I love living in Monty. I love Monty. I pray for Monty. I love living here. It's a great place. The people are good. There's a great community and a great village feel about the place. I love it. But as an evangelist, or if I try to evangelise, I try to share the good news here in Monty, Monty becomes enemy territory, as good as it is. Hmm. 
verse 4 tells us that we're single-minded, we're task-orientated. You know, take the message out. That's what, that's what it was said, that, uh, to take this message out to the people. And the message is peace with God. Because there is enmity between man and God. And there was going to be a, a peace made. Now we know that's already happened and we've got a greater message, I think, because we, we can actually offer this peace with God through Christ Jesus. And so that's the message of the evangelist. You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ, his son. But in verses 5 to 7, very, very interesting thing there. You know, because you, know, you think peace with God, that's a great thing, you know. You don't have to do anything yourself, blah, blah, blah. You know, we know the story. We think they'd be queuing up for it. The Lord, the Lord warned these 72 that were being sent out. He warned them about the attitude of the people receiving this message. He said that some will some will receive, others will neglect, many will reject, and brothers and sisters, that's what happened to the Lord himself when he preached, when he told them about the love of God and the requirements that God had. Many, many people wouldn't have a bar of it. In fact, the crowds got smaller and smaller and smaller as his three-year ministry went about. Not because he wasn't a very good preacher. We have, we have a parable, don't we, in the scriptures, the Lord tells of the, of the sower of the seed, you know, four soils. Some outrightly rejected, some neglected, some sort of thought, oh, you know, I'm not sure about this. They were a bit confused or whatever, distracted. And only one type of soil produced a great crop. That's only 25%. I remember sharing that with you many years ago here from this pulpit. But the Lord warns them about this attitude. Why? So they wouldn't get discouraged. Brothers and sisters, when I was at East Coburg as a young believer, you know, early, tw- mid-twenties probably would have been when I was doing this, we decided we would go and knock the doors in East Coburg with a leaflet to invite them to the gospel meeting and to offer them a tract and if they were interested we'd give them a new testimony. I don't think I gave any new testaments out. We, we, I did this for years, quite a number of years and most people just, you can see the glazed look over their face as you tried to speak to them, invite them to the meeting. Quite a few slammed the door in my face. Let me tell you that after a little while, when it came time to do the, we used to call it the tract and invitation distribution, when it came that time of the month to do that, I was not looking forward to it. I was discouraged. I knew what was going to happen. But here the Lord says, Lord says, don't worry about that. Don't be discouraged. This is what happens. It happens to me. And then in verses 15, oh, sorry, and then it also talks about the fact that it's worthy of support. It says that the laborer is worthy of wages, the hire, the payment. So the, the, the effort, the effort 
to, to evangelize, to spread this message is worthy of support. Not just financially, but spiritually, practically. And it's worthy of your support by doing it as well. That's another way of supporting it. So any effort that this church or any place does with regard to making this message known needs our support. It's worthy of our support is what the Lord says. So in verses 10 to 15, we have a little example there of, of, of the rejection of the kingdom message. It says, the Lord says, it has consequences. It has consequences. And the, the ignoring of the message has consequences. And, and the neglect of the message, you know, putting it off or thinking, yeah, I'll get on to that one day. That has a consequence as well. So the, the good news is never neutral. It's never, you know, it has no, it does have an effect, always has an effect. By necessity, it has a consequence. And so in verse 16, I just need a little drink. In verse 16, I'm going to read this verse, and I'm just going to take a couple of seconds at the end for you to think about this, all right? Have a listen to verse 16. He, this is the Lord saying this, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That's got to be the best explanation or the best definition for an ambassador, especially an ambassador of Christ. That's a great definition. It's serious, isn't it? So whenever I, I, I try and share my faith with somebody, whenever I try and explain to them the good news, whenever I try and, 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 and offer them this wonderful salvation through Jesus Christ and they reject that, it hurts because I know they're rejecting Christ. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I was speaking on the ambassador? Do you remember that little verse that said that the Lord said there that that it's not it's uh, sorry it wasn't the Lord it was the apostle Paul he said that that it's as if when we do this it's as if God is making His appeal through us. What what a privilege it is for you and me to be in that position, even though when you read this verse. There's dire consequences when there's rejection. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Serious stuff to consider. So that's the Lord's closing instruction to them. And he sends them. Off they go. Off they go. How long was the mission? We're not told. And I, and I spent quite a, quite a bit of time yesterday trying to find out how long it was in the many commentaries. And one man, William Hendrickson said, he was the only one that made any reference to it. He said, we don't know. We're not told because it's not important. And you know what? I agree with him. It's not important how long the message took. That's why it's not mentioned. What's important was the bit that comes beforehand and the bit that comes now. Now is what's important. 
Verse 17. Let's read it together. The 72 returned with joy. With joy. After the mission. After they went and shared what they had to say. They came back with joy. They weren't dragging their feet. They weren't heads downcast. Not like the uh, the cats last week at the end of the grand final there. I, guess I tried to get some images of that. I couldn't, couldn't find anything. Oh, that I could work. I'm sorry for mentioning that, Peter, too. But they returned with joy. Now, can you even imagine this debrief that's happening now? That's what it is, Barbara. It's a debrief of the mission. You know, I have a vivid imagination. I'm trying to think of what it could be like. And, you know, now picture this. 72, it says there, was sent out two by two. So that's 36 partners, you know, little group, partners, you know, two, two and two, 36. And they all had an event, to, at least one event to, to, to relate, possibly, maybe a few. And they're all, they're all come back and they're all, they're all thrilled about it and they're trying to tell the Lord what, what happened. And yeah, I went to this house, I knocked the door, they slammed it in my face, but you know, you, you did warn me about that, so I didn't worry about, I went to the next one and you know, and there was this little old lady and she asked us in, we got a cup of tea and scones and oh yeah. Can you imagine the scene? It would have been absolute chaos, but in a great way. Absolute joy. And, and as they were re- recounting this, they, they discovered something. And, I, and I, this is what I've discovered too. Whenever, whenever I, I, I share my faith or, or try and explain things from God's word to people, the unexpected happens. Things that you weren't even thinking about. And they said, Lord, and even the demons were submitted to us. Even the demons in your name. You see, brothers and sisters, when we, when we stand as ambassadors for Christ and represent him and speak on his behalf, in his name, even the demons are subject to authority. They weren't expecting that. I mean, they were told by the Lord to heal the sick and, uh, and, to t- and to tell them this message. So there was a lot more stuff going on. So don't be, don't be, don't be frightened. Don't be, don't be surprised whenever you share your faith. Great things happen. Here's a question for him. What, what do you think was the Lord's expression when they were recounting all this. What do you think it was? Here's another footy analogy. Right? Uh, I watched the grand final last week. You know, the, when the siren went, oh, the Richmond players, you know, the Richmond players, you're yeah, running around, jumping. And then, and then they pan over to, to Damien Hardwick, the coach, Dimmer. I, I've got a soft spot for Dimmer because he's an ex-bomber. He wasn't jumping around. He wasn't, you know, yelling and screaming, but man, did he have a smile. From here to here, he just could not stop grinning and smiling. And then he came up and he tapped on the, the player's 
backs and all the rest of it. But every time that the, the, the camera got him, there was a smile this big. You see, he was the coach. He didn't actually go out on the field and play and, and kick the goals. But he, he sent those players out. He gave them tactics. He coached them. He gave them strategies and set plays and all those things. And he encouraged them. And they went out and did the thing. Their mission was to beat Geelong, win the flag. And they accomplished it. And that brought such joy to Damien Hardwick. And you couldn't hide it. So the question is, what was the Lord's expression when they were recounting what had happened? The Lord was pleased, yeah, absolutely. And I can just imagine he would have had a grin from ear to ear. See, they started telling him about all the things that they had experienced. But wait, there's more. There's more because what we don't appreciate really is what happens when the, when the good news is preached. We don't really appreciate But the Lord, he, it tells us here in verse 18, he saw, he saw the, the, the master of evil, Satan, falling. That was the appreciation that, that, that the Lord had about it as well. It wasn't just the telling of the, of the good news, but he could see and he appreciated the consequence to the enemy. By, by the, the, these people doing, these disciples doing this. So joy, the joy of evangelism is, is twofold, I reckon. It's twofold. Joy, the definition of joy is a feeling of great pleasure, of happiness, deep-rooted and irrespective of the circumstances happening at the time. The Greek word that's used here for joy means good cheer or a gladness of heart. You know, that deep, deep gladness, you know. We've all experienced some sort of joy in our lives. So the obvious one, the first one is the obvious one, a successful mission. They were given a task, it was dignified, it was difficult and it was dangerous, but they had completed it. They went on the mission, they did what the Lord asked them to do and they had come back successfully, they completed it. And when you and I share the good news... You know what's happening? We're, we're being obedient to our master. He's asked us to do this and we're obedient. We're being faithful to what the Lord has asked us to do. That's why he's left us here, brothers and sisters, you know, not to amass wealth and go overseas on holidays. Not that you can do that now, but he's left us here to do this mission for him. And when we engage in that, we're being faithful. We are demonstrating our love for Christ. And you know, you and I, I mean, I know and I understand the experience of being born again. I know what I was like. Brian knows what he was like. And we know the change that's happened in our lives. We also can appreciate belonging to a, another family. You know, every time someone comes to Christ, you and I get another brother or another sister in Christ to add to our family. That's brilliant. And then, and then we, you and I really know intimately the transformation that is made in a person's life when they accept Jesus Christ as their saviour. We've heard a little bit about it from Brian 
this morning, myself. Sometimes it's immediate. Some of those things happen straight away. Other things take a bit of time. Some of those issues that we have are deeply ingrained in our, in our DNA. We have to work in cooperation with the Lord to do that. But we know, we know what salvation can do for a person. And so there's that joy. And then the second one is putting a smile on Jesus' face. Now, when I first heard that term, I thought it was a bit irreverent, but I've come to love that. That's been my mantra in, in, in these last few years, trying to put a smile on the Lord's face. I want to leave you with some thoughts here, a bit of a challenge. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, it says there, and find out what pleases him, what pleases the Lord. This is what we, this is what we need to do. And then in chapter 15, in chapter 5, verse 15, it says, be very careful how you live, wrath. Because it's important. I'm representing the Lord. On his behalf, this is what I'm doing. And, and it says there also in verse 15, and make the most of every opportunity. This is what Brian was alluding to earlier as well. I've n- not always done that. But I'm getting better as I get older, realizing that, hey, this is an opportunity to share this news with somebody. And then in verse 15, uh, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, don't be foolish, Raph, but understand but understand what the Lord's will is. And if we do those things, if we, I'm going to show you the last slide. If we do those things, and then the harvest, and then we will be successful at bringing in a great harvest. When we engage in evangelism, at least one of those two things will happen. It will be successful in our mission, or at the very least, we'll be able to put a smile on the Lord's face. Because we represent him. We tell of his work to other people, his work at Calvary, and the work that he can do after we become a believer, the blessings that he gives to us. We, we glorify his name. We display our faithfulness to him when we're engaged in evangelism. And we testify our love for him. If that doesn't bring you joy, I don't know what will. My challenge for you this morning is, this week, at the very least, at the very least, let's put a smile on the Lord's face. Thanks, Brian.